All right, let's get into the message today. Let's look in Psalm 39. Psalm 39, verses 4 uh, through 5. And, and you guys have seen this um, scripture over and over through this series. And we're going to look at it again today. Uh, I believe this is in a new paraphrase called The Voice. Uh, I don't know how many of you guys know about BibleGateway.com, but BibleGateway.com is a great place to go uh, to, to read different uh, translations and uh, paraphrases of the Scripture. And I want you to look at this. He says, Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days, because those days are numbered. Your days on this earth are numbered. They're limited. Most of you sitting here are going to have more than 30 days. Maybe all of you sitting here are going to have more than 30 days, a lot more than 30 days. But we don't know that. And we're being challenged to ask how we'd live our lives differently if we knew in 30 days it was all over on this earth for us. And that's what he's saying. My life's end and the number of my days show me that. Let me know how fleeting my life is. Show me, God, how temporary I am. You have made my days a mere hand breath. In other words, a, a breath, a vapor. The span of my years is as nothing before you. And he's, compa he's comparing his temporary time on the earth to the etern eternality of God. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem what? secure. You see, God did not design us to live our lives in isolation. That's what we're going to talk about today. Today we're going to talk about relationships. God did not design you. God did not make you. God did not form you to live in isolation. The fact is that God did not design you to live alone. God did not design you to go through life only worrying about yourself. God made you for relationships. God designed you to have relationships. Now remember, in the beginning, God made man. He looked at him and said, it is not good that man would be what? Alone. It's not good. Listen to what God said. It is not good. It's not good. Some of you sitting right here right now, sitting right in the middle of this big crowd this morning, you're lonely. You're lonely. You'll go home today and you'll sense that loneliness. You'll go through this week today and you will sense that loneliness. God doesn't want you living lonely. God doesn't want you living in isolation. He says it is not good that man would be alone. And so God made woman. And what a great idea that was. And the men said... Amen, amen. Now, the world today is trying to make men like women and women like men. Have y'all noticed that? Here's what I say. I say, viva la différence. <laughs> y'all didn't know I knew French, did you? The only other word in French I know is French fry. That's the only other word I know. But viva la différence means long live the difference. Dear Lord, I don't want to. Sleep with anybody that's anything like me. <laughs> Y'all ready to move on? Let's just move on. Because I got to tell you, this ain't in my notes, all right? Even God the Father, God the Father didn't want to be alone. 
God the Father wanted a relationship with us. I mean, he could have just created this earth and filled it up with goats and sheep and horses and birds and fish and all that kind of thing and said, good enough. But he didn't. He made all of that, but he wanted to be loved. God wanted to be loved. God wanted to be worshipped. God wanted to be cared for. People come to me sometimes and say, why doesn't God just make everybody love him? Why doesn't God just make everybody serve him? Why do we have a choice as to whether we serve him or not? Well, let me ask you something. Do you want somebody to be forced to love you, or do you want a person to choose to love you? God wants you to choose him. God wants you to choose him. He, he is calling on you this morning to choose him. Now, you don't have to choose him. But that's why God made you. God made you. He put you in this world and gave you the choice of following him, loving him, worshiping him or not. He created us for a relationship with him. And then look at Jesus. Jesus found 12 men, 12 men that he did life with while he was on this earth. Hey, listen, before they met him, they were lost men. All 12 of them did not know him. You know what that tells me? That tells me that, that them not knowing him, them not having a relationship with him, they were unbelievers when he met them, yet he chose them. It says to me, hey, Pharaoh Hardison, he says to the bridge, hey, bridge, many of you have people in your life right now who desperately need to feel that somebody loves them, and they may not be Christ followers yet. They may not be Christ followers yet. Can I just ask you a question real quick? Are you friends with people who aren't Christ followers? You ought to be. As a matter of fact, you ought to be intentional about that. You ought to be intentional about having relationships with people who haven't yet chosen to follow Jesus. Because it's our responsibility to love on them. It's our responsibility to demonstrate, them the love of, demonstrate to them the love of Jesus. It's our responsibility to show them what a Christ follower looks like, to answer their questions, to speak to them. Can I tell you that the longer you're a Christian, the longer you're a Christ follower, the less unchurched people you know. And after a while, if you're not careful as a Christian, as one who loves Jesus, the only relationships you really have that are meaningful are with other people who know Jesus. So I'm calling on you and I'm calling on me. I'm calling on my staff. I'm calling on my church board. I'm calling on my ministry directors. I'm calling on my volunteers. I'm calling on the owners of the bridge. I'm calling on everybody sitting here today who is a Christ follower. Be more intentional about having relationships with people who don't know him yet. It's so important. It's so important that we do that, that we do that. There's a lot of people who do not believe in God yet. Can I tell you there are people sitting right here in this worship center right now who haven't yet decided to believe in God? You know what I say to those people? Welcome. Welcome. Amen, Bridge? Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're so happy you're here. You say, but pastor, they don't even know if they believe in God. They don't even know if they believe the Bible. Welcome, welcome, welcome. What a better place for them to be. What a better place for them to be. Because you know what they're used to? They're used to being judged. 
They're used to being criticized. They're used to being left out by followers of Christ because they've not yet become a follower of Christ. You're not left out here. You know what? And this messes some people up. As we say down here in the South, this tears up some people's nerves. But we say you can belong at the bridge even before you believe. Now, see, y'all didn't say amen to that because that makes you nervous too to hear that. You know what we've done in the church? We've said, when you become like us, when you believe like us, when you, then we will embrace you. Then we will be warm to you. Then we will welcome you. Then we will include you. Not here at this church. Not here at this church. Now are there lines that we draw? Of course. Of course. But you belong here today. If you're not a believer, if you haven't trusted Jesus as your personal Savior, I want to tell you that we're happy you're here. You belong here. We love you. And the reason we do is because everybody sitting around you was an unbeliever at one time as well. Amen, 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 amen. Amen. There are people here, there are people in your life who need your love. And if you don't love them, can I ask you a question? Who will? Because whoever loves them, for lack of a better word, will get them. Whoever is accepting of them, whoever embraces them, whoever includes them, whoever says to them, you belong, then that's who they're going to connect with. I want that to be the church. I want that to be the people of God. And I believe the Bridge Church family believes that as well. One of the major failures of the church is that we gravitate toward loving relationships with people we agree with. We graduate, we, we gravitate rather uh, to relationships with people who won't challenge us. Did y'all hear what I just said? I gotta tell you, I love it when people come up after I get through preaching and go, everything you said was awesome. I love that. I'm like, give me something right here. Boom. But sometimes I have people who come up and go, I'm not sure I agree with everything you said. Can I email you today and ask you some questions? Can I Facebook you? and ask you some questions. And I gotta tell you, there was a time in my ministry when that would have intimidated me to death. But you know what now? When I have that happen after a worship service or somebody emails me after a worship service and goes, man, I fully don't get that. I don't see where that's in the Bible. How do you know the Bible's true? How do you know, you know other religions aren't just as true? as I love answering those questions now because you know what I know about that person? Listen to me. They're seeking. They're seeking. They're seeking to know. So we ought to welcome people in our life who challenge us. See, Jesus, he welcomed people into his life that challenged him, didn't he? When the Pharisees were trying to play gotcha with Jesus, one of the teachers of the law came and asked him, of all the commandments, which one's most important? I bet when he did that, I bet when he said that to Jesus, the other Pharisees that were standing around him, I bet he's going, I've got him now. Because if he tells us one commandment's more important than another, boy, we're going to nail him. Jesus said, the most important commandment is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your strength and all your might and everything that's in you. He said, and the second commandment is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. 
Why did Jesus say that? Because he knows we love ourselves. I mean, we ought to love ourselves. We ought to love ourselves. It's important that we love ourselves. You see, there's no clause here, there's no fine print in these words Jesus said, there's no disclaimer. Jesus did not say, love your neighbor as yourself if. There's no conditions on God's command for you and me to love our neighbor. He didn't say love your neighbor if they're like you. Love your neighbor if they look like you. Love your neighbor if they dress like you. Love your neighbor if they talk like you. Love your neighbor if it's easy to be around your neighbor. Love your neighbor if they don't ask you hard Bible questions. There are no stipulations with Jesus' statement. Jesus said, love your neighbor the same way you love yourself. And we are supposed to love ourselves in a healthy way, not in a I'm better than everyone else way. That's not the way you love yourself, but you love yourself in a God don't make no junk way. Y'all with me on that? Because the enemy's told some of you you're junk, God don't make no junk. That's bad English, but awesome preaching. (laughs) God doesn't make junk. There are people sitting here right now, it may not be this morning, but at some point in your life you were anticipating suicide because you thought God made junk. God don't make junk. In you, in you is a potential, God-given potential. He doesn't see you for what you are, and he doesn't see you the way you see yourself. He sees you for what you can be if you surrender yourself fully to him. He's a God of hope. He's a God of hope. Thank God for that. You see, I, you say, I don't love myself. I'm humble and proud of it. You ever met somebody like that? You know, like the guy who won the award for humility and they took it away from him because he hung it up on the wall. (laughs) If you didn't love yourself, you wouldn't brush your teeth. Some of y'all I talked to this morning, I'm not sure you love yourself. (laughs) That's not true. If you didn't love yourself, you wouldn't comb your hair, you wouldn't take a shower, you wouldn't get new clothes, you wouldn't get your hair did. You wouldn't... I mean, if if we didn't love ourselves, girls would have one pair of shoes. And I know y'all are out there thinking right now, Pastor, you cannot be preaching to anybody about shoes. Uh... So not only were we designed to love our eternal creator, God, we're designed to love unconditionally one another. And we're designed to love ourselves. And Jesus said, love others the way you love yourself. But some of you are struggling with that kind of love. You're struggling with it. And right now you've got people in your life who are hard to love. You got people in your life, you know who these relationships are, you know they're not what they ought to be, you've got people who have hurt you, you've got people who have abused you, you have got people who have treated you with injustice, they've treated you unfairly, 
Maybe you're angry. Maybe you're even bitter. You don't feel loved by these people. You feel that they've taken advantage of you. But the Bible says those of us who are followers of Jesus, no matter what somebody has done to you, we have to listen to what, and this is just one verse, Solomon. Solomon was the son of David. David's the one who killed Goliath. Solomon, his son, wrote the book of Proverbs because Solomon had an opportunity in his life to have anything he wanted from God. And do you remember what he asked for? What was it? Wisdom. And the book of Proverbs is the wisdom that God gave Solomon. In Proverbs 17 and 9, it says, Whoever would foster love, that means nurture, fight for love, is willing to cover an offense. Whoever would foster love covers an offense, but whoever repeats the matter, that means keeps bringing it up, will separate close friendships. The scripture here is teaching us that those who repeatedly remind people of their failures ruin relationships. And then we go from the Old Testament Proverbs over to the New Testament and we read what Paul said, the Apostle Paul said when he wrote a letter to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 4 and 3. I love this scripture. Look what it says. Everybody say the first three words with me. Make every effort. Let's do it again. Make every effort. That's the call of God to this congregation today. That's the call of God to me first. He's saying, Pharaoh Hardison, don't give up on relationships in your life that are strained. Don't give up on relationships in your life that are broken. Pharaoh Hardison, I want you to make every effort to preserve the unity that the Spirit has already created and, that, the, and that, that it will be preserved with peace binding you together. That's a call of God. That's a word from God to us. That is Paul talking to a local church, the church at Ephesus, and he says, don't be divided. Make every effort. This is what God did for us. We're about to celebrate it. We're about to celebrate on Friday the crucifixion of Jesus. Would you say Jesus made every effort? Jesus made every effort to not only love us, but to call us to love him and to get us to love him. He, he went so far. The Bible talks about, even in the same book of Ephesians, it talks about the, the width of God's love and the height of God's love and the depth of God's love. How wide is his love? How high is his love? How deep is his love for us? I'll tell you how deep and how high and how wide. So much so that he died on the cross in your place and paid for your sins. And all you have to do to be clean and forgiven and ready for heaven is to accept what he did for you as your salvation. He made every effort. Jesus made every effort. I love, I love what it says here. It says that, that the original language there means to fight for. He's calling on us to fight for peace. Fight for peace. 
pray it in your heart right now. Dear God, help me fight for peace in every relationship because our lives were created for a relationship. But you don't know, Pastor, what that person said to me. Fight for peace. But Pastor, you don't know how they hurt me. But fight for peace. But Pastor, you don't know what they did to me. Make every effort. Fight for peace. How do we fight for peace? Let me give you three things very quickly. Number one, you have to confront humbly. Two very distinct words right there. You have to confront, but you do it humbly. You do it with humility. Look what it says in Matthew 5, 23 and 24. It says, therefore, if you are bringing an offering to God and you remember that your brother is angry at you or holds a grudge against you, then leave your gift before the altar. In other words, just discontinue your worship. Go to your brother, repent, and forgive one another. Be reconciled. Then return to the altar and continue your worship. Wow. Wow. That's powerful, isn't it? Who is God asking you to talk to? Who is God calling you this morning to patch things up with? Who is God calling you to confront Humbly. Now, when you confront somebody humbly who there's a division between the two of you, you have to own your part in it. You have to own your part in that. Now, your part may be 10%, their part may be 90%, but you've got to own your 10%. Y'all hearing me preach? So it's important that we, that we confront humbly. How, how's it, I mean, how is it ever going to be resolved? God has commanded us to resolve these things. How is it going to be resolved if we don't step up? No one likes con- confrontation. So how do you break down that wall? Here's how you break it down. Humbly. You come with humility. You come owning your part of the responsibility. Number two, love deeply. Love deeply. Love deeply. Look what it says in 1 Peter 4 and 8. Above all, love each other deeply. Not shallow. Boy, there's a bunch of shallow love in our world, isn't there? <laughs> we call each other friends. Oh, this is my friend. Uh, my friend. He's my friend. <laughs> and the word friend, actually, actually, actually that person is an acquaintance. A friend, I mean, you ought to just study that word friend. Y'all, if you want to do a word study in the Bible, the Bible talks about between David and Jonathan in the Old Testament that there was loving kindness. Y'all to do a study of that word loving kindness. The Bible says here, Peter wrote this. You remember Peter? Uh, he was actually here a few Sundays ago. You remember seeing him? He's losing his hair. 1 Peter 4, 8. He said, love each other deeply. I love the Greek word for deeply. Ectino. It means to extend. Listen to this. Listen to this. Stretch yourself. See, they might not stretch themselves to love you, but as a follower of Jesus, you have a responsibility to extend yourself to them. Well, 
when he comes to me, I'll, I might talk to him. See, that's how, that's how the unbelievers, that's how the world deals with things. Jesus was talking to the disciples one time and he described how the world did something and then Jesus said, but not so with you. Jesus said, this is how they do it out there in the Gentile world, but not so with you. The Gentile world, the unbelieving world, can hold grudges, but not so with you. Because you are the followers of Jesus. And you are to extend when they will not extend. And you are to stretch yourself to love them when they will not stretch themselves to love you. That's the difference in us. That's the difference. Love deeply. And then he says in 1 Peter 4, 8, the rest of that verse, he says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sin. Isn't that so true? Look at the third thing, forgive irrationally. Forgive irrationally. That means forgive anything. I know, I know, I know, I know. It's hard. But he's calling on you to forgive everything. Forgive everything. No matter what, forgive everything. Here's what Paul said in Colossians 3.13. He said, forgive as Jesus has forgiven you. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Look what it says. Put up with one another. Everybody say, help me. Jesus. Amen. You say, I'm putting up with a lot. And some people are putting up with you. Put up with one another. Put up with one another. And look at this, one word sentence. Forgive, pardon, how many? Any offenses against one another. And what are we to compare our forgiveness with whose forgiveness? As the Lord has pardoned you because you should act in kind. You should be, I talked about it earlier, being Jesus. Being Jesus. You say, well, I mean, I'm doing the best I can, but I, I got to tell you something. I can't, I can't, there's some folks I just can't forgive. Really? Is that right? So let's look at what God's forgiven you of. Anger, lust, pornography, addictions, gossip, idolatry, worshiping other things above him, adultery, fornication, Fornication, using the Lord's name in vain, lying, cheating, stealing, must I go on? We've done all that to him, and he's forgiven us, but we are so much holier than God, and our standard is so much higher than God's. You say, that's absurd. Exactly. That God might be able to forgive everybody, but i got to tell you something, man. I've had some people do stuff to me. I'm not real sure God wants me to forgive them. Really? Really? So you know somebody who has hurt you more than you hurt Jesus? You really know somebody who's hurt you more than you hurt Jesus? You say, when did I hurt Jesus? You hung him on a cross. He said, I didn't hang Jesus on the cross. Our sins hung Jesus on the cross. Rembrandt painted a picture of the crucifixion. Rembrandt, the great artist. 
And on a face in the crowd, he painted his own portrait. He painted his own picture because he said, I was there. Rembrandt said, I was there. I was in that crowd. So see, the only way you have a right to go, I am never forgiving that person, is for you to come up with evidence that is unmistakable that you've actually been hurt more than your sin hurt Jesus. Impossible. What do you need his forgiveness for in your life? Not only who do you need to forgive, but what do you need his forgiveness for? I mean, if you don't confess it, he won't forgive it. Hidden sin, hidden stuff. You don't have to stand up here in the middle of the church and say it to everybody. But in your alone time with God, if there's something in there that shouldn't be in there, you got to fess up, baby. Speak it. Because if you don't confess it, he can't forgive it. He won't forgive it. When you mess up over and over and over, he still forgives you every time. Every time. If you don't forgive... Did you know that if you don't forgive, he won't forgive? You remember the Lord's Prayer? You remember what's in the Lord's Prayer? Forgive my trespasses as I, what? Forgive those who, what? Trespassed where? Against me. Jesus was arrested, betrayed by friends, slandered, judged guilty of crimes he didn't commit, then he was tied to a whipping post, beaten with fists of men until he could not be recognized. He was whipped. They beat a crown of thorns down on his head. They made him carry his own cross. They nailed him to that cross. And there he hung between heaven and earth in pain and agony for you and for me. And Jesus said this on that cross, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. As they were beating him, he said, Father, forgive them. As they were whipping him, he said, Father, forgive them. As they were mocking him and spitting on him and nailing him and cursing him, he was saying, Father, forgive them. Are you better than Jesus? Have you been treated with more injustice than Jesus? Has someone hurt you more than you've hurt Jesus, some of you are holding grudges. You're angry this morning. And you're offended for reasons you can't even remember, some of you. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to ask forgiveness from? Do it today. Fight for peace. Fight for what's most important. Listen to me. Extend yourself. Stretch yourself. You say, but they might not forgive me back. You just handed them the ball. It's now their ball. You're clear. You're clear. See, when you forgive, it sets you free. It sets you free. Unforgiveness is like pouring sand into an engine. Over time, it just takes the life out of it, wrecks it. 
ruins it. 